Hey guys, this is Coach Keita Bussey with 180 Firearms Training Podcast, joined by Grant Chancellor Madison and our guest today, Ashley Sullivan. So Ashley just is fresh off a major match and she's going to talk a little bit about that. Today, our discussion is on Dairy Queen. So, you know, the saying goes, there are two types of shooters. One, shooters who've been DQ'd and two, shooters, shooters who will be DQ'd. So we're going to get into that a little bit. And Ashley shoots IDPA. So I'd like to bring in that perspective. So go for it, Ashley. So um, I'm Ashley Sullivan, Tactical Poppins. Um, I shoot all three sports, but for majors, I mainly shoot IDPA. Um, we have more USPSA in our area for locals. So usually I shoot a lot of local USPSA matches. But anyway, so I recently shot a major IDPA match. And um, I was DQ'd. I, this is my first DQ ever for anything. And I've shot for, oh gosh, since 2012 or so-ish. So um, it was really hard. Um, I, I feel it was unjustified. And I have, I have video that shows that it was unjustified. But as y'all know, in IDPA, well, y'all may not know, but you, um, you can't use video evidence in IDPA. So I'm not sure about USVSA because I'm still kind of learning. It's the same. It's the same. Okay. I kind of, I get it because then everyone would be like, no, no, look at this video. No, look at this video and take a lot of time. And stuff. But, so anyway, so in my case, um, it was, uh, it was my very last stage for the whole match. I had five targets left to shoot when it happened. And um, I outran the SO. Um, I've taken a lot of key classes. So I've gotten a whole lot faster than I used to be. And I had engaged the first three targets and I was moving to a port. Um, I had gone, I hit the, the third target and my hand came off the gun. So I was running with my gun up and my hand out ready to open that port. And I ran to the port and I had gun up, hand in, hit the port. And as I'm building my grip, like coming back together, I get the call. So, um, and watching the video, cause I needed to know for myself, you know, I'm like, I don't think I did that. I'm like 99.9% .9 sure, but you know, as you're shooting things go really fast and that kind of stuff. So, so I went back and watched the video and, um, and I, I didn't do it. I mean, you can see where everything is in the video. You can't really see the gun, but you can see where the SO is and you can see where I am and from the angle you can tell nothing happened. Um, also from the angle, the guy was behind me. So it would be really hard for him to see where both of my hands were um, when he made the call. So um, in my case, the other two SOs who were supposed to be watching shoot were actually pre-scoring targets. Uh, they've been told by the match, I guess the match director, I don't, I don't know who told them, but they'd been told to get people to go faster, faster, faster through the stages and reset faster and get people through. So I only had the one SO that saw what happened or, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't do air quotes. It's kind of rude. I should say I had one SO who said what happened from his point of view. Um, I did have two people on my squad that were standing close to the other two SOs who were supposed to be watching me. And the two people from my squad said my gun was clearly outside the port. But um, the match director came, um, they talked about it, and I, they DQ'd me from the match. Um, <clears throat> I will say that part of what got me on this one is that I talked to the SO when I got DQ'd. And I told him that my slide was over the red. And what he heard was my sight was on the red. So I could hear him talking and um, that's what he said. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what he said. So if I had any advice, I would say, um, don't talk to the SO. If you get DQ'd, just say thank you and don't say anything. Don't, don't tell them anything about what happened and what didn't happen. Um, because everyone at that moment is kind of, you know, heated 
because the SOs, they don't want you to, to do anything unsafe. And if they saw something that they thought was unsafe, they would kind of get, you know, really cautious about that. So I would say, just don't say anything. Um, also, another piece that I thought was really good is what we do in my area is we have what's called an advocate. And all the match, we've, we've had this happen with other people in our group before where they got DQ'd and they called for an advocate. And the, um, the match director at first doesn't, doesn't understand, it's like, why do you need an advocate? It's like, well, this is, you know, a high stress situation and we don't want the shooter to get really over passionate about something. So we, we choose someone within our group to represent us. That can be non-biased, non-emotional, state the facts and move forward which um, it's not in the rule book, but every match director that we've had, is, we probably had it happen maybe three times. And then we also run a major match here in Houston and we allow and actually encourage people to have advocates as well. Um, and it always works out a whole lot better when we've done that, so. So what did you learn as far as what action you can take if this happens to you? So I didn't know that you could actually um, call for arbitration in IDPA for almost anything. Um, you put up a hundred bucks and, and you call for arbitration. Now, I didn't, I didn't know you could do it on a DQ. I thought when you got disqualified from the MD, that was it. You were just disqualified. Um, now, I, I've heard from other match directors that you can't, you can't do um, arbitration if it wasn't breaking of a rule, like a, a cited rule. But I don't know. It's kind of a fuzzy line for me. So I'm still learning that part. I'd like to talk to somebody in, I don't know, headquarters or something to find out when can you call for arbitration? Um, what happens if you do call? What if you put the hundred bucks down and then they say, oh, no, you can't arbitrate this. Do you get the hundred bucks back? you know, what happens? I don't, I don't really know how that works. So, and it's, we, we read the rules. Um, it was actually a really funny drive home <laughs> all the way from Colorado to Texas um, with uh, my teammate, John Warrender reading the IDPA rule book from the back seat of the truck. Um, <laughs> super exciting. Yay. Reading the rule book. Um, but there is a whole section on arbitration and um I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to ask our USPSA area coordinator, Danny Garza, if he could read it for me because he's a lawyer. Maybe he'd understand the rules. I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, there is there's a thing called arbitration. Um, I'm pretty sure they have it in USPSA also. And uh, you put down 100 bucks and then you get, you're supposed to, per what John read, <laughs> you're supposed to write a article of what happened no more than 100 words and then you get two random people that were on the scene when it occurred whenever whatever occurred whether it was a dq or whether you you know they say you shot a non-threat and didn't or broke the perf I mean, <coughs> anything any rule breaking um and then those two people and your document go to a panel i think that's i think that's the word they use was panel i'd have to look that up and then between the panel, the match director, and I believe an appointed person from headquarters. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that would work at a major. If someone from headquarters wasn't there. If they have to like call in for a friend. I don't know. Um, so they discuss it, and all of this has to occur. You have to request it within 30 minutes of the end of the match. So for me, the end of my match was. Thursday. So I would have had to request it within 30 minutes of Thursday. And then um, I think they also have 30 minutes to, to deliberate, if I remember what the rules were. Yeah, arbitration lasts for one hour after the match is complete. Oh, okay. Okay. So and that was that was part of it too. Sorry, I'm still it was so dry where I shot and I'm like dying. I'm still I'm rehydrating. So um that was part of it too. It was like, was it from when I finished the match or the whole match? Because the whole match didn't finish for like two more days. So I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to really research that. I hope I never have to do this again. I hope I don't have to arbitrate anything ever. That would be really nice because it sounds like a real, 
involved process. So, yeah. Now, most of the time, most of the time, it's not going to make any difference if you arbitrate or not, because the SO is still going to say, this is what I saw. I mean, if you go to arbitration, they're going to say, okay, what did you see? This is what I saw and right. nothing changes. Right. <laughs> so typically it's not even worth fighting over, but mm -hmm. it can be if something was misunderstood Mm -hmm. And you feel like you can point something out that they didn't realize. So it can be worth it, but it's pretty rare that it's actually worth it. Yeah. So I understand they also had a stage where you draw your gun from the holster from a seated position. Now in USPSA and IPSC, you are legally allowed to sweep your feet on the draw because your holster points your gun at your feet in most cases all the time and it's very difficult to draw the gun from the holster without it moving past your foot on the draw mm -hmm. so i understand idpa does not have this rule it does not it actually specifically states that you cannot sweep any part of your body so any part you can't sweep anything um what I do on seated starts, and I joke about it because I'm the only woman on our shooting team. Um, I shoot for Or Tactical, for those of you who don't know, it's an ammo company here in Meadville, Texas. And um, I shoot with a bunch of guys. Big shocker, a bunch of guys in the shooting sports. Um, <laughs> so I always make a joke, and I'm like, sit like a lady. And I, I put my hands on my knees and turn my knees sideways and look really cute. And then everybody laughs. And then, and it's really funny when I get the guys to do it because they're like, I'm sitting like a lady and they, <laughs> they put their hands like this on their knees. And, but what it does is it, it turns your body and it turns your legs and your feet and everything out of the direction where your draw is going to be. So, um, I've done, we've done seated draws for years and it's really, it's never been an issue. Uh, what you do for the, for the matches that we've set up. We always give left and right hand shooters the opportunity to draw to a target that's into their draw side. So, and they did this at the match that we were at too. There was an opportunity for you to sit in a position where when you drew, you would draw straight to the first target on your draw side. And um, if you do that and you're sitting, sitting like a lady, then you don't sweep anything. Now I was thinking about this. I, shot my first IDPA match this year with you <laughs> with my <And> gun <laughs> I was not aware that that rule didn't exist in IDPA because I shoot mm -hmm. USPSA and IPSC where your feet can be under your holster when you draw so I typically will have an athletic stance when I draw the gun now I don't know I'd have to go back and watch videos but that whole time I shot that match, I could have been sweeping my foot the whole time and just didn't even think about it So the, because I didn't realize that was a rule, which is my fault. I should have read the, the rule book before I shot the match. Um, the weird thing about that rule is it typically only applies if you're seated. Um, I don't know if whoever <clears throat> wrote it didn't think about the mechanism of drawing while standing because I think everybody pretty much draws from an athletic stance. Um, so yeah, I, I bet if I went through and watched a bunch of videos, probably almost everybody would draw and flag their foot when they were standing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that's I mean, how bodies you work. can, you can draw without flagging your foot, but like you said, with sitting like a lady, you'd have to have your hip popped out to the side mm -hmm. at every time you draw the gun. Right. Right. So. I'm not sure. Um, that's the only time it's come up is during seated draws. And they they try really hard in IDPA not to do seated draws. You won't see it very often. Um, we did it at our, our Gulf Coast Championship in 2016, I think, maybe 17. Um, we had a stage where you were actually sitting in a boat. We made this, we made this really cool canoe. And um, and it was actually one of our one of our favorite stages because it was really really hot and it, the whole stage was shot under a canopy, <laughs> so it was it was the SOs kind of fought to work that stage because you got to stand in the shade all day. Um, so what we did is we set it up to where 
we had, like I said, we had a target for the right-hand shooters and a target for the left-hand shooters. And I'm telling you, you could have reached out and touched it on either side. Like it was right there directly in line with the holster, like reach out and touch the target. And we were very specific in the reading of the stage description that said, you know, uh, we have, what was it? Because you have to be very careful when you write stage descriptions and stage briefings that you're not leading the shooter, but you're also encouraging safety. So we wrote it in such a way that I, we had one person out of almost 300 shooters that went and swept their leg. And they, of course, got disqualified because they went, I mean, they went directly across their lap. And I'm like, that you, you're a right-handed shooter. Why did you shoot the left target first? You know, because you, you had to go, I'm going to go past all these targets to shoot this target, you know, but, um, but I thought that was pretty good statistics. And then um, I, I don't know who all did it at the last match that I shot, but in the years that I've shot IDPA, I've done seated starts at majors maybe three times since 2000. So it doesn't happen very often. In USPSA, typically, if we're doing a seated start, the gun is on a table. Mm -hmm. It's not in the holster if we have a seated start, typically. I mean, I have seen it, but it's pretty rare. What about you, Grant? Uh, yeah, seated starts, <clears throat> most of the time, it's either condition three, empty with mm -hmm. mag on the table, mags on the belt, all the guns on the table. It's very rare that you're starting with a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been I've maybe done it one time. Mm -hmm. That was like at a at a local match. So, Grant, what do you think about all these IDPA rules that are so different from IPSC? Well, a actually, so when I was, this was a couple of years ago, when I first got my handgun, I actually went and tried, you know, IDPA. There was a the local the local IDPA thing I don't know what it's called the local place they had a come try IDPA free matches for free you don't have to join you can see if you like it so I did actually try it um, lots of procedurals <laughs> as I'm sure we, every new I, uh, IDPA shooter gets and yeah a lot of rules and it just it seemed very simplistic and not you couldn't really flow. Not like IPSC where you like shoot it, shoot them as you see them. It's very raw orientated and go mm -hmm. to this position and go to that position and then cover while you load and drop a mag with one round in and get a procedural a few times, which is I did. <laughs> so yeah, I did try it. There's a lot of rules, and I think if I tried to learn all of them, I just would have gone crazy. So maybe that's why I didn't, because I don't like reading. I don't like reading rule books, especially. <laughs> so, <laughs> So that's probably why I didn't actually pursue that and then went IPSC and yeah, I think it's a much, much freer experience. So Ashley, anything else you have to add about your experience? Um, I would just recap, don't talk to the SO. <laughs> don't talk to the SO. Don't say anything. Um, think about it like, you know, if you hear on the news when people say that there was a police shooting and they like, they, they advise the officer, don't talk to anyone. It's like, don't talk to anyone, just don't say anything. Um, and um, I, I feel like, I, and this sounds bad, I feel like I almost need to warn SOs. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of fast. So, you know, just to let you know, you might wanna be where you can see me if you wanna see something. And it's like, it's, and that, that part I, think I do find a little frustrating, um, but, don't don't talk don't argue um and really just kind of give them give everybody the benefit of the doubt i mean there's it's a high stress situation you know do the unload and show clear go back to your group talk amongst yourselves quietly and you know i stayed i was actually really proud of myself and some of my teammates were too because um years ago i may have lost my temper i'm, I'm getting <laughs> better i'm getting a lot better um i don't like to be unjustly accused of something um, and I, I doubt anybody does, but yeah, just keep your cool and go with the flow and, and try to be kind of understanding of what's happening. 
And remember yeah, that not... these SOs are doing the best job they right. can do and they're working hard. Yeah. And they're not trying to take anyone down. They're just trying to do what they think is the right thing in the moment. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah, you're definitely not going to achieve anything by shouting at the, yeah. at the RO. So you're not going to achieve anything. You're just going to make, you're going to make them double down on the, well, I made a right call because now you're just being argumentative. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, if I know that I'm going to do something like I'm going to shoot a target on the 179. Mm -hmm. Then before I shoot during the walkthrough time, I'll go up to the RO and say, I intend to engage this target from right here. Is that okay? Just to put it in their head that they're going to see that. So that yeah. when they do see the 179, they're expecting it and they're not going, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because they were kind of looking Otherwise, over here and then, yeah. I mean, it's not breaking any rules. It's not crossing the 180. It's stopping just before. But as soon as they see it starting to get close to that 180 mark, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. But this puts it in their head that, hey, you're going to see this right here, just so you know. So they're not shocked or surprised. So that's sort of my rule of thumb. If I'm going to do something that is going to maybe worry someone without actually breaking a rule, just so it puts it in their head. Yeah, and I think also making sure that you say, I'm going to run up range very quickly. I hope you can keep up. We yes. definitely need to do mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yes, so I had, I don't know if this is the same in IDPA, but in USPSA, if you flag a range officer, you get DQ'd. So you have to stop yourself, even if it's mm -hmm. their fault for getting in your way. Is it the same in IDPA? It is. It is the same. Um, most of the time, I mean, I've, I've seen it happen maybe once, maybe twice. Um, I personally have bumped a, a safety officer, like run into them twice. <clears throat> it was on the same stage and it was on my reshoot. <laughs> I'm like, can I safety officer because I've already run into you twice dude um <laughs> and this was this was years ago when it was on a backing up and um and I did I I bumped right into him and he called stop and I'm like just move but you know it happened so Bill Duda with go fast don't suck made a meme out of me after nationals one year I was on a retreat stage I outran the RO three times and I had to stop myself otherwise he'd be downrange of me and I would get DQ'd right so I would run and uh, see him in my peripheral vision and stop so I wouldn't flag him mm -hmm. so we got to the third time and I was like you know what screw it <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop and wait for him to move and then finish my stage it's not like I'm gonna win anyway <laughs> oh I did I did have that happen once at a USPSA match I was running and I had turned to run and I looked and over the corner of my eye, I saw the RO was not moving as fast as I was. And I yelled at him. I yelled at him. To, it was one of my friends anyway. So I didn't really mind yelling at him. Um, and I probably yelled something not super nice, but he smiled and laughed. Um, it was at a local. So it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So I, I earned a meme out of that one, respect the retreat. And it's this little girl <laughs> running with a timer like, ah! <laughs> so well, Grant, ours that are working recently... a stage like that um i just want to add ours who are working a stage like that they generally either should unless you start at the front and then have to move immediately to the back if you're shooting a stage most of the ROs that i've encountered they will actually start you and then move to the back and wait for you to kind of finish up there so I don't know if that was the case while you were running them. Was it to start at the front and then immediately go to the back or? <clears throat> no. Um, so stage? typically good stage design, if you're starting at the front and then moving up range, good stage design, you're going to be engaging things before you move up range. That yeah, gives the RO time to back up and get out of the way. And this is what happened, but he was trying to move with me instead of using that time to back up. Where I was still, I would still be in his line of vision. They didn't have barriers blocking his line of vision. He could have still seen everything I was doing from the back. So it was a good stage design, 
he just didn't realize he was supposed to be using that time to get back to the rear fault line. Mm-hmm. That happens. But, you know, it's a learning curve for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grant, you recently had an issue. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, my DQ. Right. Um, okay, so at, at a major match, one of those PCC nationals. Now, I'm not a PCC shooter, but I had entered it, you know, just tried out shooting a borrowed gun. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. And the stages at that particular match were awesome. Um, anyway, it was on the fourth or the fifth stage of the day, first day. And so I came out of a low port engaging targets and then I was indexing on a moving up range indexing on a target it was a, a no-shoot target and I just get told stop and load show clear which is not a nice thing to hear so I thought it was a range failure to be honest the RO says that as I came out of the port I grabbed the gun with my left hand and pulled it past the 90 they're used to PCC is fairly new in South Africa, correct? Yeah, I'm not sure there's been anyone who's actually attended a major PCC international match yet. I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, that's that's my understanding. So yeah, he I'm not sure clear, and yeah, that was that was the the end of my PCC nationals. Um, Kind of, kind of sad because those first few, st- well, the first one was a bit of a dumpster fire, but the other stages are really good, I felt, but compared to the other guys. So had a good, had a good shot. Um, the RO was behind me and so was the, the second RO. So they saw my back. So again, I don't agree with it, but I didn't see what the RO saw. So I can't really, you know, say that it was an unfair DQ or not. I was indexing on target, and if I had done what he said I did, my sights would have really jumped to the left and back, which I didn't feel they did. But again, it was a high-stress environment, and unfortunately, just thank you, sir. Sorry about that. You know, um, I you do have your 90 minutes to arbitrate it, so it's put down the match fee, the entrance fee, um, and I could have arbitrated it, but both our rows agreed. I didn't have a video or anything that could be could be looked at because it was the first couple stages of a major match and I didn't want to bother anyone by having someone record me. So, but yeah, most the, the other competitors who were in my squad say I wasn't really close to the 90. I didn't feel like I was close to the 90, but I didn't see what the, what the RO saw. So yeah, I don't agree with it, but it is what, what happened. So. Well, that's why video is such a valuable training tool, whether you did it or not. And at least you can go back and look for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. We are out of time here. So Ashley, where can our audience find you? Tacticalpoppins.com is my website. Um, And you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and MeWe at Tactical Poppins. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining me. And we'll see you on the next one. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Hey, this is Coach Kita Bussey with 180 Firearms Training Podcast. Today we have Grant Chancellor Madison and our guest, Ashley Sullivan, who's fresh off an IDPA major match. We wanted to bring her in and talk about the IDPA side of things a little bit, but she does shoot pretty much everything. So today we are talking about DQs. We are going to talk about things that we've seen, things we've experienced, how we can try and prevent these DQs, what to watch for, that sort of thing. So Grant, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. So obviously the most common way people get DQ'd is breaking the 180 or the 90. Um, One of the ways I have seen someone actually get DQ'd is he had a malfunction. It was a course where he needed to shoot a target that was kind of 85. And he had a malfunction, so he immediately starts to try clear it. And what happened is he's pulling the slide racker on his on his open gun and pulled the gun, trying <laughs> to clear the stuck round, and pulled it over the 90. So even though you're kind of left in a position where you are engaging on the 90, 
if you do have a malfunction or something that you need to manipulate the gun for, you need to be cognizant that you need to actually turn and face downrange. Even if it's going to slow you down, the fact is you've already got a malfunction. Don't get DQ'd while, while clearing it. Um, I don't I don't like stages that have DQ traps, that have a target that is literally on on the 90. And if you engage it one centimeter too too far, you know, it's a DQ. I just think that's poor, that's poor stage design, especially if it's a if it's a target that's placed where you kind of are moving quickly or running fast. And now you have to either stop and shoot this target, or maybe it's not available before it actually gets to the point that it's on the 85 or the 90. So I just think that we should try and avoid those and in the stage design, but yeah. Now, I do incorporate stages like that into my class because it creates a teachable moment mm -hmm. and into drills that I give to people. So we do need to be practicing that, having targets right on the 90. But in a match, I, I do agree that we don't want to really be pushing that and creating a quote unquote trap. So yeah, yeah, I do agree with that, but we still need to practice it so that we're proficient at not breaking the 90. What do you have, Ashley? Yeah, I actually had a guy at a local steel challenge match full on turn around and try to walk off the range with his gun in his hand. Was it loaded? Yes. He was, um, I think it was on Smoke and Hope, and he did the first one. I'd kind of been watching him all day because I, I didn't know him, but I'd shot with him a couple of times. And um, it was on, it was on Smoking Hope because we were on Baby. So he shot it once. He did okay. He shot it again. He had major <clears throat> gun malfunctions, like bad. So he started getting a little more mad, a little more mad. And then he shot it one time and just went gun in hand <clears throat> like this and threw his hands up, turns around gun in hand and starts to just walk off the bay with everyone behind wow. him. the entire squad including myself all screamed stop i think a few people may have even jumped out of the way i don't know but it was one of those instances where he had shot by himself at the range so many times and he was just used to shooting in front of a table and then walking back to the table with his gun in his hand and I think it was something in his head. He kind of forgot where he was and that there were, you know, 10 people behind him. Um, and he just turned around and was just going to walk off the bay with his loaded gun. So that, that was, um, that's probably my scariest SODQ moment. Because um, the whole squad just froze and said stop except for the few people that probably got out of the way um i don't really remember because i was so focused on that guy <laughs> it was it was really scary so so i would say you know always be cognizant of where you are and what you're doing and if you're i mean this was still challenged we didn't we wasn't even any movement and he still just turned around with the gun <coughs> you know the scariest things i've seen have always been related to low blood sugar and heat and mm -hmm. people not thinking clearly anymore. I had an elderly gentleman shooting a stage and he got confused. He was like outside the fault lines, engaging targets, trying to find them all. He just got really confused. And then he knew he wasn't engaging all of them so with his finger on the trigger, hunting for a target, he turns around and faces me. I had the timer in my hand and I didn't want to startle him because mm -hmm. he had a loaded gun pointed at me with his finger on the trigger. And I just said, like very gently, stop, turn around, face the gun down range. And he just followed the directions because I, I really think he had heat stroke or something mm -hmm. or the onset of heat stroke and wasn't thinking clearly. So he needed like gentle prodding. So he wouldn't shoot me accidentally. He was very confused and everyone behind me 
hit the deck. They were all face down on the ground. It was very scary. And I saw another incident where a guy just had low blood sugar. It was getting late. We hadn't had lunch yet. And he got confused between unload and show clear, hammer down holster and make ready. So he was making ready and did the hammer down holster and shot himself in the foot. So definitely make sure you're hydrated. Your blood sugar levels are even. If lunch gets pushed off, make sure you're taking care of yourself. And if you can feel that, oh, this heat is really getting to me and starting to get confused, you need to make that call and say, you know what? I'm not safe to shoot anymore. And you need to call it for yourself. Well, and I've had squad mates before who've warned me, hey, I have, you know, I'm on this medication or I have problems with my blood sugar or I have problems with heat because I live in South Texas. We have a lot of problems with heat here (laughs) for most of the months of the year. And so if you know you have that kind of condition, tell your squad mates, tell them, you know, don't be embarrassed because, you know, you have a condition or you're on medication or whatever. Um, tell them because you're walking around with a loaded gun in your hand. I mean, that's something that they need to know. And then you can also, it helps them watch out for you. So you don't injure yourself. And it helps with accountability as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I definitely have to do, if it's a hot day, take a (laughs) towel, wet it with cold water wrapped around my neck Mm -hmm. so that the blood flow going into your head is actually a bit cooler. So there was a recent incident where a gentleman was shooting a stage and fell, pointing the gun to the opposite bay and sent around right in between two people. So I know a lot of you have seen my book cover where I'm running with a gun over my shoulder next to my ear. And, you know, a lot of defensive shooters, a lot of IDPA shooters even will see this and say, that's unsafe. Well, what would be unsafe is doing anything but this if I'm running uprange and my first target is on that side. If I'm doing something else and I fall, your natural inclination is to catch yourself with your hands. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing this, then I've got my elbow there, my finger is off the trigger, and the gun is going in a safe direction, even if I do fall. And if this guy had been doing that, this wouldn't have happened. So practicing uprange movements first with a dry gun and looking at these techniques, you might feel like it's unsafe because you've never done it before. So practice it with a dry gun. And I would say even practice falling with a dry gun. So you have it in your muscle memory. You have it in your head. This is how I catch myself if I fall and keeping the gun in a safe direction. Your priority is the direction of that firearm and finger off the trigger, Mm -hmm. of course. And if you have to get hurt to keep that gun in a safe direction, get hurt because it could be someone else's life. Yeah, skinning a knee or an elbow is a whole lot better than shooting somebody or shooting yourself. There was an incident a few years ago of a, a guy that fell on his gun and shot himself in the stomach. I think it was somewhere in Florida or somewhere else. There was another thing is if you start to drop your gun, don't try to catch it. Mm -hmm. There was a, there was another gentleman who tried to catch the gun when he dropped it and shot himself right through the heart and he died on the spot. So if you drop your gun, just let it go. Take the DQ. It's not worth dying for. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't care how expensive your gun is, drop it on the, drop it on the sand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, according to the rules, if the gun is outside your control, that's a DQ anyway. So if you drop it and catch it during that time, it was outside your control. So you're already DQ'd. So there's no point in trying to catch it. You're not going to keep going. Yeah. And there, there is a slight difference as far as dropping your gun in IDPA versus USPSA. Um, Both of them, if you're on a stage loaded and you drop it, you're out. But in IDPA, even if it comes out of the holster off the stage, like 
you're just walking oh, really? around the range. If your gun hits the ground, you're disqualified. Huh. Well, yeah, that I guess it's kind of the same thing. If you take that gun out while you're, or if it falls out of your holster or something uh, while you're walking around, yeah, you, you're also going to get DQ'd. In so USPSA, mm -hmm. in USPSA, if the gun falls out of your holster, you stand there, you can't walk away from it. You have to stand there and send somebody else to go get a range officer. Yep. Then they have to supervise the picking up of the gun and the reholstering. And the way we play with each other, <laughs> if, if that happens, everyone is going to start kicking dirt on your gun. Because <laughs> we're all jerks. <laughs> it's just part of the game. So there, there was um, something I wanted to add to the falling. Um, one of the things that I found super helpful in training was running with that horrible, dreaded, evil weight test. Um, but I always think of Andy Whitley whenever you say that. <laughs> Mr. Or, uh, Aquaman. Um, so we, I've taken Keita's classes a couple of times and everyone just, just moans when the weight belt comes out because nobody wants to put it on and run with it. But what it teaches you is to, um, keep your feet under you mm -hmm. because if you outrun your feet, you're going to fall and you're going to fall really fast in that weight vest. Um, cause all the momentum and, and watching some of the falling videos, um, cause I've watched a whole bunch on YouTube trying to go, what? what really happened? What happened? Where did it fail? How can I avoid this? Not only as a shooter, but also as a stage designer. Um, and there's, there's things you can do as a stage designer to keep people from falling, like don't put down a fault line in a running path, or, you know, make sure that when you lay out your, your stages, that there aren't giant holes in the ground where someone's going to have to run or a rock or whatever. But as a shooter, there are things you can do ahead of time to prepare, like practicing falling with an unloaded gun, running around with the weight vest, also with an unloaded gun, because you don't want to do that with a loaded gun. And, um, and a lot of people don't practice uprange running as much as they should. Um, if if y'all haven't read Akita's book, it clearly defines how to run uprange depending on what target you're going to engage at the end. So read those chapters. And... Um, and watch the videos because it makes so much more sense to run with the gun here or run with the gun, you know, <clears throat> back and down, depending on which way you're turning, than some of the stuff that I've seen. Um, I've seen people running up range that whack their gun on walls because they have it like out like this as they're running up range with their shoulder behind them. And it's not only slower, but your gun's behind you. Like you can't see this at all. So it's different things like that, that I really um, appreciate through watching the videos and learning and, and taking classes that stuff that you'll see at matches that maybe you hadn't thought of before and think, I, I need to practice this weird thing just in case it comes up. Yeah, getting around walls for sure. Mm -hmm. So the book Ashley is talking about is Smart Move, Economy of Motion for the Shooting Sports by Kita Bussi. That would be me. You can find it on Amazon, or if you would like a personalized copy, you can email me 180firearmstraining at gmail.com. Yeah, walls can yep. be awful. So we had a guy actually get his shirt caught in a wall. Andy, it was Andy. I mean, we're not supposed to say names, but <laughs> this is the Andy show funny. now. He's not <laughs> even here. <laughs> um, he did. He was, um, there happened to be, I think, I think it was a zip tie that was cut wrong or something. And he had a, one of those thin shooting shirts oh my god he came around that corner so fast and it caught him so hard it spun him around the wall thankfully he caught his gun just when it passed the 180 so he didn't actually flag anybody but um he just stopped for a second and it kind of you just watched him go take a big deep breath nobody said a word i think the so called stop but he'd already well stopped himself it was very very obvious that he'd already stopped himself because it scared the crap out of him. He was so, that that wall just grabbed his shoulder and spun him around. Now, when I was shooting an IPSC match internationally, they, after the walkthrough, where we all kind of tested out the terrain, they came and dumped new gravel inside the fault lines. 
And I didn't realize how much more slippery it was than when I did my walkthrough. Mm -hmm. So if there's a change in terrain like that, just be very, very careful. What happened to me was I was in the middle of engaging a target on the move when my feet just went right out from under me. So the shots, and I landed on my elbow, the shots still went into the target, but I just kind of sat there for a minute, like, am I still in? And then I shot the rest <laughs> of the stage sitting on my butt. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's, such a, the, there's such a large array of like ground you, that you're going to encounter, you know, soft sand, grass, mud, that you are eventually going to fall. Everyone's going to fall. Maybe that should be the new yeah. the new tagline. The people that have fallen and the people that are about to fall. Um, <laughs> so we want to make sure that we do that safely. Um, and remember, you're running around with a gun that has, maybe it's an open gun, maybe it's a two-pound trigger. Mm-hmm. That thing will go with inertia. So you need to be cognizant of where your finger is all the time <clears> while you're moving. And also record yourself to make sure that if you do fall, your finger's not in a position on the frame where it's easily bumped down into the trigger if you sort of smack your arm on something. Yeah, that sympathetic response where your finger curls in, even if your finger is outside of the trigger guard, but across it like this, then it can easily still curl in. Where if you have it up on the slide, even if you get that sympathetic response and it starts to curl, it'll curl into the slide of the gun not into the yeah, trigger guard. Your hands are going to, I need to grab something to stop mm-hmm. myself from falling and they're going to grab trigger and you don't want that. Yeah. So. Yeah. There was, um, there was an incident that I witnessed at a match a couple months ago where I had a friend who had the a combined incident of what Keita just talked about and in falling. He was, um, he didn't notice that in the corner where everyone was shooting, the ground had kind of been carved out and it was under, it was underneath the fault line. There was like a hole right there at the fault line because a lot of people would run in really hot to the corner and then run out of that corner fast. Um, So when he went to leave the shooting box to go to his next position, um, his foot got stuck underneath the fault line and he fell forward. He kept his gun pointed in a safe direction. Everything was golden. It was a bad fall too. You could tell it kind of rung his bell a little bit. And everything was great until he stood up. And as he was standing, he got up way too fast and he swept his hand. So I would say anytime you fall, um, anytime the surface has changed, look at it on your walkthrough. Make sure that everything is still the same as when you did your initial walkthrough. And then if you fall, you're already cost a bunch of seconds anyway. Just take the extra couple of seconds, clear your head, think about where you are and what you're doing, and then get up and finish the stage. Because I've seen way too many people fall and get up and rush and then do something that um, is dangerous. Yeah, he had his hand on the ground to push himself up and the gun here and just went like that as he was standing. And that was a, it was a hard but he did everything perfectly on the fall Mm -hmm. just never rush getting up like Ashley said Grant you have anything else also okay USPSA you have five minutes from the make ready signal right so if the ground changes or if it's raining or something maybe because you're not going to be able to go full speed in the walkthrough it's going to be very rare that you can actually go full speed in a walkthrough Maybe you'll be able to carve out a section where you can actually run around on it. But if everyone's on the stage trying to trying to walk through, it's probably not going to happen. So maybe during the make ready, if something does change or you notice something, take that time to run full. Maybe you'll get a lot of comments and jokes, but whatever. We hit a win, not look good. Maybe look good a little bit. Um, run through that position just to make sure that you're not going to fall. Well, at the after the make ready, we can only move one step. But we do get a walkthrough while they're resetting the targets. And that's usually a good time to do a full speed into a corner that's questionable or something like that. Or if you know you have to get around a wall and it's a tight spot, 
go through that full speed to make sure you're now that you have this extension of the gun in your hand, you're not going to get stuck on the wall and end up pushing the gun past the 180. Yeah, but use use some time before you have to have to shoot it to at least go 100% on a certain position if you're worried about falling. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, find your 100% because your 100% might not be your normal 100% if you were running on grass or something like that. Or another one is slippery wooden surfaces. So if it rains and you're on a wooden plank, those get very slippery. So make sure you have shoes that are really good and supportive and you don't want a super hard compound like football cleats because those are going to slide on a slippery surface like wet wood. You want a soft compound rubber trail shoe and you don't want the grip to be too aggressive or let's say you are running in grass, that grabs onto the grass so tightly that it torques your joints and can actually cause damage and injuries. So the right footwear is really important. And if your tread is starting to wear, you probably are going to have to replace those shoes once a year, mm-hmm. once a se- once per shooting season. Sometimes less, depending on how much you're practicing with them. <laughs> well, and that's why a lot of shooters will carry those shoes with them to the range and not put them on until it's time to shoot. And then as soon as they're done shooting, they switch shoes back to try and preserve that tread as much as possible. Yeah. My shooting shoes stay in my, in my FJ. And um, I usually show up at the range in flip flops. Um, <laughs> so everybody's like, you're shooting in flip flops. I'm like, no, they're in the car. <laughs> I'm spoiled by my Loa's. <laughs> I know. I love my Loas. They've saved my ankles so many times. There was, um, we have a range, well, we used to have a range here in, in the Houston area that um, they had the strangest fault lines sometimes. They would either use this really big rope or they would use these really wide fault lines. Not, not the little, you know, one by twos that most people use, but they were like, like, I don't know, they were like that wide. So whenever it would get, um, a little bit dewy on the ground and you try to stand on one of those fault lines, you'd slip right off the other side and people kept getting foot faults and foot faults. So then they switched to the rope and you could not stand on that rope because it was a round rope and it would move. And I always thought that it was really interesting that they would try to do that um, instead of just using the right kind of fault boards. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the rope was kind of cool though, because then they could make, you know, rounded corners and stuff, but anyway. Yeah, I made a Q stage in Australia. I think it was, yeah, Australia. No, no, it was Canada. I made a Q stage. It was really fun with a big <laughs> rope they found at a shipyard. Yeah, it's always, it's always interesting to see what ranges can come up with and then how to deal with it in a way that's safe without um, either injuring yourself or getting disqualified or, you know, doing something else that, you didn't intend to do getting out getting outside your comfort zone with a massive rope as a as a fault line is one i mean you can try and like push it in your walkthrough you know try and get a little bit of extra 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 room to shoot a target so grant have you seen anything in south africa as far as dqs apart from Breaking the 90, and I also want to stress that 90, 91 are different. It's breaking the 90. So it's actually going to 91 in my understanding and viewpoint of the rules. So if I'm on the 90, technically, I haven't actually broken Mm -hmm. the rules yet. I'm on the 90. It's fine. 89, 90, it's fine. 91 is where the problem comes in. That's when you you need to, to, to call a DQ. Um, the problem is though, if you're not going to the 90, you're probably not going fast enough. You don't win matches by playing it safe. You win matches by going to your hundred percent. And unfortunately the hundred percent is sometimes on the ragged edge of basically staying in the match and not breaking, not breaking any of the rules. So that's basically the main reason why people get DQ'd. I have. There has been a DQ, and I fully support it, of 
a competitor who was DQ'd for unsportsmanlike behavior because he would not paste and reset the stage. Now, it's a small, it was a small squad. I think he brought up like a lawn chair or something. It was just sitting there. So it was, there was warnings that were made apparently. And yeah, so I think that rule maybe should, I don't know how it is there, but that rule maybe should be used a little bit more because. We do have it here. I have never personally seen it enforced, but we do have the potential and I've heard it threatened, but never actually used to get the squad motivated to start pasting and resetting. So we do. Oh, sorry. What we do in our group is if we see someone who's clearly doing that and we've told them, Hey, you need to come reset after they shoot, nobody resets their stage. So when we'll talk to the SO, not at a major, at a local, um, at a local, we'll talk about it and say, you know what, this guy or this lady is doing no reset. We've talked to them. They, um, they refuse to reset. So we're not going to tape when they're done shooting. They have to tape their own stage. And we, I think we've done it once and it fixes it because they realize they're like, oh, I guess I have to get up and tape now. (laughs) Part of the sport. (laughs) So something I wanted to mention is what happens at the, the super squad level with potential DQs. So these guys have to push those boundaries. They're looking for that 10th of a second here and there, and they'll push right to the 90 to gain that 10th of a second. They're probably not breaking it, or if they do, they hope that they did it so quickly that nobody saw it. <laughs> and that's typically what happens at that level that they're doing everything so fast that if you are the RO, it makes you question, well, did they or didn't they? Because it's that close. And if you're thinking, did they or didn't they, you don't want to make that call. It has to be blatant. If if I tell someone, you know, you were kind of close to the 180 on that one, what I mean is they probably broke the 180, but it wasn't drastic enough that I'm going to say 100% for sure they broke it. Instead, if I see the gun move past the 180 and it's very obvious, then of course. But if it's like 180.1, I mean, who are, we're just humans. <laughs> we have human eyeballs watching this and we're doing the best we can. So I would say give the shooter the benefit of the doubt if they're not doing anything unsafe. If it's right on the 180, that's not breaking the rule. And mm-hmm. who are you to say that it's, not 179.9 with your human eyeballs you've got to be sure yeah and the angle that you're looking at can be yes what you're seeing yes and it gets confusing when the fault line doesn't match the 180 maybe it's at a little different angle and it can skew your perception as well Mm -hmm. so you've really got to be sure yeah we've had that where it's like the the stage was built in such a way, it's, I mean, it's a square bay, but the stage was built in a way where one of the targets, I mean, we asked Lara, where's the 90 on that? And we were pretty much at the beginning. And if you walked up to the target and you looked at it and you really, like, I, the 90 was much, much closer um, than that, much more f- forward of the start position than where he was stating at it. But that's the kind of thing you don't, he's already stated the 90s right there. You can't move beyond that point and engage that target. You, you can't necessarily push that boundary um, at that stage. Mm-hmm. So Grant, have you Maybe ever seen, have you ever seen guys on the super squad do something that may have broken a rule so quickly they don't get caught? I've seen people go really like questionably was that a what did you break the the 90 on that but honestly from my perspective if he's pushing the boundaries and he's trying to win and i'm pushing the boundaries and i'm trying to win you're not gonna run up and question hey aura did you see that because if i want to beat someone i want to beat them at their best oh yeah you never call somebody out that's that's no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that I mean, is not that's not sportsman that's not sportsman's behavior you don't you don't do that have i seen it yeah and i was like okay well you know cool and what Nothing. i would say is if a super squad guy does get dq'd he 
more than likely didn't do anything unsafe. Maybe he just broke a rule. Yeah. It, I mean, at, at, at that stage, it probably definitely wasn't unsafe. Um, and you also, maybe maybe the ROs are more cautious about DQing the top guys in a way because yeah. they know that it might create more issues than it's worth. So they'd rather be either 100% sure or if they're questioning that, like you said, they're just, okay, well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but to be honest, I'm not going to, not going to call that. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the ROs that I've met and made have been pretty fair and pretty lenient. Now, another thing is if you see a new shooter do the same thing, they're probably going to get called on it. Whereas the pro shooter doesn't because they just seem more in control. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Grant, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's grant.madison1. My surname was too long for Instagram, so I just kind of gave up. Or you can find me on Facebook, Grant Chancellor Madison. Um, I don't have any cool websites or anything. You should probably look at that. But yeah, <laughs> that's where you'll find me. All right. And Tactical Poppins? Tacticalpoppins.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and MeWe at Tactical Poppins. And you can email me 180firearmstraining at gmail.com for a personalized copy of my book to set up a movement course. And give me a follow, Kita Bussy on Instagram or 180firearmstraining on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having us. Ashley, thanks. love talking with you and hopefully we'll see you at a match soon. And, and thanks for tuning in. Please like and subscribe. Have a good day. All right, cheers.